This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. So, should we get started? Why, sure. So, you are the first ever person to be interviewed for a second time on the Cherry Leaf Podcast. Normally, we ask people to introduce themselves, but I think, as recognition of that, I should introduce you. And it's <laughs> Mike Hamilton of Madcap. I'm not sure what your official job title is, so you'll need to explain what that is. Oh, my goodness. It has evolved over the years. My title at the moment is the Vice President of Product Evangelism. You're also one of the founders of Madcap, back when it started probably 2003 or four. Actually, officially, it was March of 2005. Right. One of those dates burned into my brain for history. Well, we started November 2002, so I know it wasn't that long after we started at Cherryleaf. We're in this rather strange situation with lockdown and the coronavirus. I don't know if or how any of those things are affecting you and the Madcap team. I hope everyone's safe and well there. Oh, we're quite well. We're down here in California, San Diego, for those listening who may not know. It was a little bit of a transition initially, but we haven't been as impacted as a lot of companies. We were just some might call it luck, but we were fairly well mm -hmm. positioned. I mean, several years ago, we opened the remote office in Texas. As a company, we were already accustomed to doing a lot of remote participation between different staff members. And I would say probably before this started, even half of our staff was already set with all of the components necessary for doing remote meetings, working from home, all the distance components. Hmm. And so it was just a matter of ramping up some additional server hardware, getting a few pieces in place to get the rest of the company to have all of the same capabilities. In fact, the funny thing is one of the hardest transitions for us of everybody just working from home and participating from home wasn't within our own control. It was all of our staff members, internet service providers, because that was the thing that we found as a company, you can wrap up very quickly. And it even impacted me of all things. I was doing a webcast hmm. and we were all set. We had, you know, several hundred people online waiting. It came time to start hmm. the webcast. All was going brilliantly. And about seven minutes into the webcast, everything just stopped. Hmm. Well, it turns out that that was the exact same day that an elementary school that is only about 400 meters from my front door, <laughs> that was the day they started to do all of their Zoom classes. And it just overwhelmed the bandwidth for this entire neighborhood. So, of course, my webcast went right down and we couldn't figure out what had happened. It took the <laughs> ISP about a week and a half to figure it out. And then finally, the whole neighborhood came back up again. It's so funny. Despite your best plans as a business, you're still at the mercy of your providers and your vendors sometimes. We've been unaffected. Part of it is good fortune and luck. 
So long may that continue for us and also continue for you and the team at Madcap. In the midst of all this, you've got a new version of Madcap Flare out the door. So it would probably be good to get an understanding of what's new in Flare 2020 and I guess the underlying philosophy of the things that you've decided to implement in, in this version. Sure. As far as getting it out, again, the I don't want to say the timing was good because the timing of a, a global pandemic is never good. <laughs> but as far as it impacting our release, everything was code complete long before this happened. The real impact was it was just the tail end of the QA process. And then who it really hit was the marketing team. You know, a lot of the launch plans just kind of went out the window and had to be rethought. Mm -hmm. But as far as what's in it, the philosophy behind it, it's becoming harder and harder to explain what's new in a release without talking mm -hmm. about more than one thing now. In fact, maybe that's one of the philosophies that I can point to early on is mm -hmm. that if we were to roll back five or six years ago, much more of what Madcap provided was very point product centric. No, here's the flare product. Here's what's new. But we're now at a point where if there's something new in flare, it's probably because there's something new in central and they're communicating together. Or hmm. if there's something new in central, it's to facilitate integrating with something else. So it's become much more of kind of a, an ecosystem rather than just individual products. You should explain what Flare is and what Central is so people that aren't familiar with the two products. The Flare product is our product for technical communicators, business writers, people who need to produce content that their customers can consume, but with two extra pivot points one is that content never exists more than once. So the content reuse that's built in, if you have mm -hmm. a common phrase that needs to be inserted into a thousand locations, you know, danger, that danger mm -hmm. statement would only exist once, but then all the way up to, well, we have the same safety chapter and that safety chapter mm -hmm. needs to be chapter two in every manual. Well, again, you would only write that chapter once and it could then be included by reference into every manual. So that's kind of the first component. The second component is the multi-channel component. So not only do you write it and maintain it in one place, but now it can be published to PDF, to Word, to uh, responsive HTML5 running in the web browser, to eBooks, to about a dozen or more different output formats. So the idea is to let a professional author just be as efficient as possible and let the software pick up most of the heavy lifting. And then to the second component I mentioned, Madcap Central. Gosh, what is Central pushing six years old now? I think I'd have to go back and check my notes, but where everybody seemed to jump to the cloud for everything, we were a bit more conservative, the Flare product is still desktop centric because that's where the power for the authoring is. But we also mm -hmm. recognize that there was a lot of cloud-based functionality that could be added. So the central product is where we've added the content storage, 
the archiving, the ability to roll back to previous versions of anything you've written, the team involvement, you know, how do I participate with a group? How do we cross edit each other's work? How do we facilitate a review process where my reviewers don't have to have any software installed, but it, it's still XML based content. That's really the, where we see the cloud having its strength, at least today, it's not so much the full featured editor, but everything that's kind of the ecosystem around that editor. How do we participate with the rest of the people in our team environment? And if you want to publish something on the fly very quickly, you can go to the cloud and go into central and do publishing. Or if you've got people you want to review the content, then central has a role for that as well, doesn't it? Oh. Exactly. I mean, it's, if we want to go a tad deeper, you can really break this cloud, the central component into about six buckets. One of the primary buckets is just a manager managing their team, who's enrolled, who has what access rights. So there's that whole kind of project management side of mm -hmm. things. The second big component is the archival storage, the rollback capabilities, the history tracking. Then the third big component is probably the review process that I mentioned. How do we get, you know, non-writers, other team members to be able to review, give us a technical review, a, a marketing review, something like that. Hmm. And then, as you mentioned, and this is actually kind of pivotal to the new 2020 release, is the actual publishing of content. Central also facilitates hosting. And again, we're a big believer in choice. If you've got a great relationship with your web team and they've already set mm -hmm. up a spot for you, we can publish directly to that location using standard FTP. But if you're in one of those positions where maybe you don't have a great relationship with your web team and it would just be easier mm -hmm. if you controlled your own destiny, as it were, well, then you can publish directly into the central hosting and get your content out for your customers to be able to see and read. And just added last year, there's also a localization and translation component in central to help facilitate, you know, getting content localized if necessary. Those are probably the big buckets. So if I have got content that I've created and I use central, I can... I can control the publishing without it being handed over to the web team and having to wait for however quickly or slowly they publish. What about content that you don't want publicly findable by Google or publicly accessible? And maybe you're developing customized versions of products for a client. I know the answer to this. I'm leading, I'm feeding, <laughs> you, feeding you a question I know the answer to. But can you tell me also about this private publishing also? That is probably the big thing on Central for 2020. Up until now, everything that somebody would publish using our cloud product, it was publicly facing. We now have the option that it can be private. Okay, it is public facing, but it requires a password mm -hmm. to access, or it could even be internal facing now, meaning okay, we're just going to use this as a staging server for our own staff. And then for the outside world customers, then we'll continue pushing it up to the web team and the spot they've given us on our official server. So there's mm -hmm. multiple ways it can be set up. 
one of the things we had to do with 2020 was think less like Flare and think more like a traditional webmaster and re-architect Central a bit. So where Central used to receive outputs, you know, since mm-hmm. that's what they're called in Flare, well, now we've rethought that to now there's a component in Central where you can establish sites and then sites are derived from an output in Flare. It's just kind of a one more level of association mm-hmm. But that made the central interface easier to use if you're trying to manage, you know, a dozen different sites. Well, now there's a single panel where you can do that. That's a a core change with central because now you can just use it like a public ISP that just, hey, I've got this Mm -hmm. wonderful page for the entire world to see. Or it can be locked down to a specific audience. So that's... Central. In terms of Flare, what's new with Madcap Flare? Again, the ability to push to those private sites. So that was kind of mm-hmm. one of those bi-directional things and impacted both products. One of my favorites, though, and this has kind of become my most recent passion, is mm-hmm. we've added, what, two, three years ago now, we added the micro-content editing capabilities yeah. to Flare. Well, that has now been stretch out and i'm gonna go way old school kind of geeky here deep mm-hmm. you know tech authoring one of the things that we've done is if we've reintegrated micro content a new concept mm-hmm. into a much older concept context sensitive help mm-hmm. one of the big challenges and again i'm going to let my my old geek flag fly here for a minute Way, way back when we were all doing win help, everybody Mm -hmm. loved doing field level help. It was convenient. It was nice. And then when Microsoft had us all transition over to the compiled Microsoft HTML help, everybody kind of transitioned to page level help. Mm. Not because it was better. It was just Mm. a thousand times easier to implement than field level help used to be. It's like in WinHelp, WinHelp was designed to do field level, whereas the Microsoft HTML help was designed to do page level because that's the direction Mm -hmm. Microsoft was going. So field level kind of fell by the wayside. Well, that was one of the neat things we've always wanted to do with micro content. When we first saw that, having the history we have, it's like, oh my gosh, that's like Mm -hmm. the reinvention of field level help. So it's now been integrated back into our context-sensitive editor. So now you can write full topics if you want to do page-level help, or you can write micro-content, and that can be added back to topic IDs and map numbers, all the traditional mapping, for field-level help. So it's really given us kind of a throwback to that early 1990s timeframe where now you get best of both worlds if you're, you know, longing for that older field level help because we're seeing field level help make a resurgence but every time we research it it's like every company is like rebuilding the wheel they're just leveraging web technology to rewrite that capability so we figured let's just make it an integrated part of the authoring process and then allow people to connect it the same way you do the page level 
I'm getting long-winded again here. I mean, this is actually something I picked up on when I saw the information on the latest version. That that was the bit that really picked up on me because we've got to a situation where we still have help, web-based help and, and even printed manuals. But we've seen this help move into the interface, which tends to be done by developers and tends to be often hard-coded into the application and often is managed by people having these horrendously large spreadsheets. And then we've got content that's moved into knowledge bases like Zendesk and the like. And we've ended up with this fragmentation where you've got three different teams writing content and it can get out of sync, it can get out of date, it can be left to rot, it can contradict itself. And there hasn't been a tool outside of the application itself, really, that's designed to manage that helping the user interface and deal with the complexity of content appearing in more than one screen and different languages and the like. And it does seem that that's a feature within Flare to solve that particular problem. I don't know if that's something explicitly you've aimed for. It did strike me that that's what it's solving. It is something we specifically aimed for. It was something that we saw very early on, but in that meeting room, your eyes meet and you're like, you can see that little light bulb above each other's head, but it wasn't mainstream to what micro content is to most people. So even though it was a great idea, it was kind of set on the shelf for a bit. We wanted to get micro content as integrated, just as industry standard as we could first. Mm-hmm. And now we're having the opportunity to go back and say, okay, now how can we further leverage micro content and being able to do the field level help just lent itself perfectly. So we're getting to put kind of the madcap stamp on it now. Micro content began last year with the idea of creating the snippet type short summaries of pages for search engine results. And so you're extending it now to also function for small chunks of text that can be in the UIs. Is that the right description? From what the technical writer would see using Flare, yes, those are the big ones. Right. The other nice thing is we can now produce content that we can then feed over to the help desk and they could use this content to run their chat bot. Or if we're documenting something that might need to feed one of the new personal assistant devices like an Alexa, you know, an Echo or a Cortana device, the micro content is what gets read through a, a voice interface like that. So to us, micro content's really multiple things. It's a way to share content in a way that a lot of devices consume. But why stop there? How can we use it mm-hmm. to make the things that we publish for our customers better as well? So you, you mentioned it can do the augmented search results, and now it can do the augmented context sensitivity as well. Any other developments with micro content? Just getting a little bit deeper. We've mm-hmm. also implemented full conditional and variable support inside of micro content, very similar to how we did the snippet model. Honestly, that's really kind of where our micro content model comes from. For those mm-hmm. who've used our product in the past, going way back to the beginning, we had this concept of snippets, you know, a piece of content that just might be a small phrase or a small section. It doesn't qualify as a full reusable topic, but it's still reusable content. But a snippet's really meant to be reused within the Madcap ecosystem. 
micro content has a very similar position. It's reusable content, but it's designed to be used outside of the madcap ecosystem. At least conceptually, that's how it, it kind of come to fruition. So now we're trying to move the same feature set that people had with those snippets internally. Snippet conditions, snippet variables. Well, now we have micro content conditions, micro content variables. So even though I've written a single piece of micro content, it could be tailored on an output by output basis. So the micro content that I send to support to feed their chat bot might be ever so slightly different. I mean, they're the same queries, the same phrases, yeah. but the answer might be tweaked a little bit for what I send to the team to feed to their Cortana feed if they're supporting a, an assistive device like that. I was just thinking of a couple of examples. So if you're having content that's going to be on a smartphone, you might say tap. On a desktop, you might say click because it's a mouse. If it's on a voice-activated chatbot, you need to say, hey, Google, or hey, Alexa, and have a condition to depend on whether it's a Google product or an Amazon product or an Apple product and work in that particular way. What seems to be happening, from my perspective, is that, I don't know if this is deliberate, but building a product that can do the management of the complex content, the variables, the localization, the reuse, and in some situations publishing it to web pages, but in other situations getting it as content that other systems can publish, that it can be published in the application, it can be published to a knowledge-based support ticket platform that can be published to whatever's generating the chatbot. Is that a grand plan or scheme are we see is that a sign of future developments oh definitely again not to bore you with internal planning sessions and things like that but if you think mm -hmm. of the company madcap we're kind of in our third generation now of development the first generation was just getting core authoring tools out second generation was then building an ecosystem around the core authoring tools now we're really getting into a point where it's more about refinement and partnerships. And those who've watched us, this started actually several years ago. We started with a partnership with Salesforce so we could publish mm -hmm. directly into Salesforce knowledge if you need to support a sales team. We then added the help desk support. We could publish directly into Zendesk. And then this year, the new one that we've added is I know a lot of companies, at least in North America, are using the ServiceNow mm -hmm. suite of products. And now we can publish directly in what the ServiceNow calls it, the ServiceNow knowledge base. Well, mm -hmm. now we can publish directly into ServiceNow as well. So that's definitely something you'll see us doing going forward. Because those products tend to be good at the support ticket side of things, but absolutely terrible at having a way of authoring good content that prevents that sales ticket from happening and keeping it up to date. I wouldn't say that because I'm partners with these companies, but I'm glad that you <laughs> said it. We love our partners, but you're dead spot on. They are experts in what they do. Mm. We are experts on the content side. And so it's just a great collaboration. We can now give somebody inside the company the tools 
to do proper content and yet publish into that existing ecosystem. So the big areas of change within recent times that may reflect also the changes that Madcap have gone through is help has moved into the interface. The other big growth area has been documentation for developers and the growth of APIs. What has Madcap done in terms of being a candidate as a tool that you could use for generating content aimed at developers and those documenting APIs? As you say, one of those big adjacent areas to traditional software documentation is API documentation. And we've had people just clamoring at us to do more in that regard. So another big thing this year is if you need to document code, there's a brand new code snippets functionality so that when you are saying to your customer, okay, look, we've got this cool bit of code. Here's what, well, now you can actually take that chunk of code, that code snippet, drop it into our interface, and we're not going to do something silly like convert it to text. It will stay as proper code. And I'd have to actually go count. I want to say it's somewhere like 18 or 20 different code variants that our editor understands. So all the big ones, you know, your VB, your C++, C Sharp, Java, JavaScript, CSS, Python, uh, Python Markdown, PHP. Yeah. I, I'm sure the list is longer than that. Yeah. So you drop in this code snippet. Quite often it will auto-detect and automatically choose, oh, we know that language, it's this. And then all the syntax highlighting will be applied as appropriately to that language. And if we don't auto-recognize it, then there's a little drop down, and you can just select the language that that code snippet is out of. A, it's true code still. B, it has the syntax highlighting, not in a generic way, but in a way appropriate to that specific language. My favorite bit is... Now, obviously, if you go to PDF and it's on paper, you know, it's printed. But if you're publishing to HTML5, there's actually a little button up in the corner of your code snippet now, copy to clipboard. So you don't have to worry about, hey, if the customer needs to copy this and then use it in their editor, their IDE, you know, it's not going to have a bunch of weird HTML characters now mixed in from the display in their web browser. When they hit copy to clipboard, it's still the raw code that you put in that gets copied mm. to their clipboard. So it's just going to make life a whole lot easier for people documenting code of any kind. And I know the full-blown API developers will love that, but I'm going to love that because even quite often I'm just explaining how to do little JavaScript techniques inside Flare or you know, how to show CSS technique. And now finally, it's just a native part of the interface. There's something else there that is important, which I hadn't until we've just talked now realized. And that is the fact that they're in snippets, which means that if you have the snippet and you want it in the getting started guide and you want it in one page and you want it in another page about a resource, you actually have the content written once. And then if the code needs to change, you just have to change it in one place rather than track all the situations in different places where that code sample has been used and go through and change it in five or six different places, you've got the single sourcing with the code samples. And that, again, is another issue where developer documentation gets 
messier and messier where you're doing cookbooks and getting started guides and specific reference content and having the same snippet appear in more than one place. Exactly. In fact, I always try to, to just really impress that on students in the beginning classes in this system, content should only exist one time. And I don't care what content that is, be it a code snippet, be it a danger statement, a caution statement, or even something as simple, but people don't think about this, but if you're documenting software, how many hundreds of times do you type a phrase like from the file menu, choose save? Hmm. Just making that one little phrase a snippet, well, A, it helps to enforce consistency. You don't have people reversing subject and verb by accident in a few cases, but it also lends to saving money on the translation side as well. If that phrase shows up a thousand times throughout the docs, well, now I only pay to translate it once and it repopulates everywhere. Yes, lots of reasons why content should only exist one time. There's another enhancement I spotted, which I've always liked, and that's related to find and replace because Madcap doesn't go the regex or regex approach. It actually has a more user-friendly approach to finding and replacing text and elements and the like. But you've made some changes or enhancements on that side of things. Can you tell me a bit more about what you've done in, in that aspect? Absolutely. For those who aren't familiar with our tools, we have a bit of a philosophy. We want tools that have extreme depth for the advanced users, but at the same time, very carefully installed guardrails so the beginners don't hurt themselves. And that was kind of the issue we had with the find and replace tool. It wasn't quite enough to keep the hardcore power users happy, but we exposed almost a bit too much for the beginners. It was almost way too easy to kick it out of text replace mode and get into, hey, let's find and replace in source code, which, hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I couldn't live without it. I use it all the time, yeah. but it's not something you want somebody who's in their first month of using a tool like Flare to probably be messing about with. So the big things that we've done this time is on the high end, on the, the more powerful end, it's no longer purely text-based. You can now do find and replace text-based the way we had, and that includes using wildcards or regular expressions or some of the more advanced features, but you can also do it element-based now. So if you have to replace all elements of a given class name, project-wide, it's just way easier to do it on an element-based basis than basically to write a regular expression trying to do that for you the way we used to. And it's literally a whole new tab in that find and replace interface. It just gives you a whole new facet on how to do find and replace for the advanced users. But because that's a bit scary and we wanted to hide it from the beginners, it is on a separate tab that you have to actively go and open it always opens mm. to the basic text interface. And then even in the basic text interface of find and replace, some of the more advanced options have now been collapsed behind an options arrow or an, an options link. So that way a beginner just 
doesn't even see those advanced options. A beginner can't do a wild card find and replace or a regular expression find and replace That's, mm -hmm. or search and, and replace in, in source code. Those options are now hidden away. Again, I'm getting long-winded, but in traditional madcap software fashion, we didn't want to just keep adding bells and whistles for the advanced user. We had another look at if we're going to touch this module, how do we make it even more beginner friendly? Because right now it's kind of in the middle and we hopefully made it better for both ends this way. Did that make any sense at all? Yes. That's uh, a situation where it's always good to do a backup before you did it. Oh, absolutely. If somebody's never used Flare and they wanted to have an explore of it, how do you let people to try before they buy these days? We have 30-day trials of all of our software that's available. Each one has kind of a different wrinkle in how you can use it for 30 days, do all of your testing, but we try to keep people from using it in a production environment. On the mm -hmm. Flare side, it's unlimited as far as authoring goes. So you can do... Mm -hmm hundreds of topics, thousands of, if you want to stress test it, do tens of thousands of topics. You can do all of the linking. You can do every, where the wrinkle in the trial comes in is when you go to publish an output. If you produce a PDF, if you produce a web page, it's going to introduce typographical errors artificially every, I want to say every ninth or 10th character. It just does a character mm -hmm. swap. So that way, it's still fully testable. It's just not something you'd want to ship to your customer. Yeah. So that way we, because I know some tools, they say, oh, you only get 10 topics. Well, you can't really test a system like this with yeah. 10 little topics. So we find that was probably the best balance of preventing unauthorized use and yet still letting people do a full test. I believe if you do a 30-day trial of central it will limit how many people you can enroll in your test environment. And I believe they may have changed it for 2020. I hope I'm not misspeaking, mm. but I believe anything you try to publish to a site would be watermarked during the trial period right. as well. I believe those are the two big ones on Central. And what happens after 30 days with Flair? The nice thing is... At any point in that 30 days, if you decide to make a purchase, you don't have to uninstall. You just get a serial number, you plug that into your copy of Flare, and that scrambling of outputs goes away. We do not recommend doing production level work in a trial, officially. Hmm. Realistically, everybody does it, and you hmm. don't lose that work when you put in your serial number, it just turns off that scrambling of the output and it becomes a fully functional copy of Flare. And any work you've done during that 30-day trial is now still functional. Yeah. So you can do it, but you wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Exactly. I think that's a good summary of what the major changes there are. I don't think there's anything else that's... Is there anything else that needs to be mentioned about what's new in Flare? Or central? Um, I think the only other new thing, and this is only going to impact just a few of us that are kind of the hardcore editors, and this is really more on the policy and procedure side. 
But if you're in the flare editor and you're documenting topics that tend to be overly long, it used to require a ton of scrolling if you were cross editing different areas, but now you can actually expand or collapse in the editor just based on heading levels if you want. So maybe I've got a big long procedure it contains nine heading twos and each heading two is like 12 paragraphs. Well, now I can collapse it up almost outline style. So when I first mm -hmm. open it, I just see, okay, here are my nine heading twos. I want to drill into that heading two there. You click a little triangle next to it and its content drops down. Now mm -hmm. this has no impact on what the customer sees when it gets published. It can just make the authoring a bit more convenient if you're getting outside of the software doc world and just more into that business publishing world where topics tend to be a bit longer. Yeah, I've just spotted something else on the web page for that, which relates to policies and procedures. And you've got a new import wizard I just noticed for importing word files. We're getting to that age where we're going back and we're kind of reworking modules that already existed. And mm. once you open that box, well, if we're going to that effort, what else can we do? So what mm -hmm. really started this is something that happened last year. We've improved the drag and drop capability. So traditionally, to get a Microsoft Word document into the Flare environment, you had to go through an import process. With lots of stages, yes. Yes. And so now we've tried to simplify that for the beginning users if you have that Word document on your desktop as a little icon, you can literally just drag that over and drop that in the Content Explorer window in Flare now, and that will kick off the import wizard. So that shortcuts about six steps you would have had to do by hand earlier. But to do that, we had to crack open that particular code area. Once it was open, it's like, hey, as long as we're here, what else can we do? Mm -hmm. So that whole word import process was refactored, one, to make the interface easier to use instead of what was it, like 12 different tabs, it's down to four now. A lot of things were consolidated, but in a very intelligent way. So it's also easier now to remap styling during an import. Maybe they hand you a Word doc and you look at it and you say, is this your look and feel? Oh, no, 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 no. We went through a rebrand last year and that's an old version. Well, now during the import, it's much easier to just ignore the presentation styling of what few styles they may have used, but mm -hmm. remap the named styles to a completely new style sheet. I mean, that's always kind of been in there. It's just more robust mm -hmm. and easier to implement now. So the drag and drop just made it a much easier for the beginners. Again, for the more advanced users, that refactored interface allows for much more style remapping at the same time. It can be quite a challenge sometimes getting Word documents into Flare or any other application. Okay, thank you for the update on Flare. There's quite a lot there. And the easiest way to look at it is go to the madcapsoftware.com website. The product page, anybody can download the trial if they want to. There's also an resources page where we constantly have upcoming webinars and announcements and things. And since the release just happened, there are actually some recorded webinars of, hey, 
what's the cool stuff in Flare 2020? And that will give you a, a much more elegant synopsis than what I've done here with my ramblings. Uh, so, lot, yeah, lots of resources up on the web page. That's all my questions I had, unless there's anything else that we should cover. I don't think there is. I think we've covered quite a lot. There's a lot in the new version of Flare to discuss. No, like this has been great. And thank you so much for having me again. You're more than welcome. It's always great to talk to you. And if people want to contact you, what's the best way? Of for me, email is almost always the best. Just mhamilton at madcapsoftware.com. Great. Lovely. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. <laughs>